Okay, last week we talked about the Grand Canyon. No, we talked about God being glorious, and that was just a picture of some uh, natural beauty that shows the glory of God. And uh, as I said in the Psalms, there's a place in the Psalms where it says the, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. You look around, people have called the earth, creation, God's second book, his other book. There's his book, the Bible, and there's the other book that gives us a picture of who he is, although a lot of it is lost. But when you come to faith, all of a sudden, lots of things in the world are, oh, that speaks to me about who God is, and the, the, the earth creation is like that. After we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit uses a lot of what is around us, and it, it, it's like, oh, that's just like what God does. And Bible writers did the same thing. Um, John, uh, who wrote the book of Revelation, he did that. He said it was like this. And, you know, and he, again and again, he was r- relating things to creation because it made sense. Now, here's Jesus in uh, our chapter is uh, John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in fact, if we start back in verse 32 of chapter 16, it says this, and I'm going to set this up this way. Jesus is speaking to people. He says, behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone. Because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That is a word of comfort to me, that Jesus would say, you're going to face some things in the world, but be of good courage. I've already overcome the world. I've already done it. Now here's the thing. Jesus says, an hour is coming, And then he says, in fact, it's already come. And he's been speaking to his disciples. And then it's like, that's all, that's the end of that. Chapter 17 starts out saying, after saying these things, he lifted his eyes to heaven. It's kind of like, okay, I've spoken to you guys enough for the moment. Father, like his, and he starts by saying this. Father, the hour has come. It's like his moment, if you go to the end of chapter 14, Jesus had been speaking after the Last Supper uh, to the disciples. By that point, Judas has gone out. Um, the, The disciples don't quite know what Jesus meant when he said to Judas, you know, what you're doing, go go get it done. And they're sort of, I don't know what that meant. But they're all together and Jesus is speaking to them. And then Jesus says at the end of chapter 14, arise, let's go forth. So it would appear that uh, chapters 15 through 17, Jesus is speaking on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've had dinner and they're walking out. And the first thing that he does, chapter 15, is all about the vine. And some say, you know, that he probably was walking past the vine. And he's using that as an illustration and speaking to them about heavenly things using, again, a natural thing, uh, something in creation. But they've gone forth and Jesus Though has said now, he comes to this point and he says, okay, I've been talking to you guys. I need to talk to my father. He lifts his eyes 
And he says, Father, the hour has come. The hour that Jesus' life has been pointing to uh, since he arrived on the planet, since he began his ministry, and he first said this when he was with his mom uh, and his disciples at the wedding at Cana, and his mother says, oh, they've run out of wine. And as I told, I know this is review from last week, and he said, my hour hasn't yet come. It's not time for me to be revealed. And, you know, he did his first miracle, but most people didn't actually even know where all that wine came from. They did, they, a few of them knew, but most people, they didn't know that Jesus did it he, if it had been me. Okay, stand back. We're out of wine. You guys have all had enough to drink anyway, so I'm making grape juice. or something. No, what does he do? He multiplies these big pots full of water and he turns it into wine. And he doesn't draw any attention to it. He just does it and the head waiter, you know, follows his lead. He said, my hour hasn't come. And again and again and again, it says things like they were going to get Jesus, but his hour hadn't yet come. So he just walked away from them. Now in his life, here's Jesus on this night within maybe a couple hours of his arrest. Uh, We don't exactly know, but within a few hours of the cross. I mean, it's one thing to think, oh, there's a crisis coming, but it's still a month away. It's still a week away. It's still a few days, but here he is a few hours and the the pressure, the unimaginable pressure and anguish of that moment is there. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. And now he lifts up his eyes. Father, the hour has come. I need a moment with my Abba. And John records Jesus' prayer to the Father uh, just before his suffering and his death. And here he is letting us in on his relationship with the Father, this God-honoring prayer, this with the urgency and the anguish of all that's around him, he still even talks about his joy being fulfilled, made full in his disciples. He's still talking about, I've overcome the world. He's looking at this. He's got this. With all of that stuff imminent, here's Jesus, poised, perfectly surrendered, trusting, resolute, and faithful to God. With all of that right there. His prayer shows that he's seeing the glory that will follow what he's about to go through. That He knows what he's going through, but he's already looking beyond it. And he, he takes this prayer to a place that is so God-honoring. That in the midst of all that. So, I want to just back up. Before I read chapter 17, I want to read this little piece here. And I've got a second Bible up here because the sermon is so long. So that's why I've got that there, if you're wondering. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 23 and 28. Jesus says this. He answered when uh, Philip and Andrew came and said, there are some Greeks here that want to meet you. He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 28, he says, I'm sorry, verse 27. My soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. 
Father, glorify your name. He's, he's not shrinking back. He says, I'm not shrinking back. This is the very reason I came. Jesus knows why he was there. The hour that he's come for to be glorified in is right now. I'm not going to ask to be saved from it. This is why I came. This is the purpose the Father sent me. This purpose preceded Jesus coming. This was in the loving heart of God the Father. It says in verse 5 where we're going. Before the world was. God had things. He, this wasn't plan B that, oh my gosh, they've got Jesus. Okay, how can we make the best of this? No, this is why he sent him. This is what, was, what it was all about. This is what was in God's heart of love for humanity through all of human history. In fact, even preceding it. Now, the culminating moment for us to be bought back from slavery to sin has arrived. The moment in history where people will be purchased is here. Everyone in heaven, all of the angels in heaven, just like we say at Christmas time that, you know, the angelic host broke out and they were singing, you know, over the shepherds and they hear them praising God because the Savior's in the earth. Now imagine what's happening in heaven. All of heaven is standing at the, sitting on the edge of their seat, so to speak, to see it's about to happen. Humanity is about to be bought back. The, the cross is right there. He's not turning back. God the Son is there. He's poised, ready to take it for us. This is what we've been waiting for, to see this happen. They're all watching. The world and the devil don't get it. How do I know that? This doesn't sound like a way to win. Jesus is going to die for us. That sounds... It doesn't sound like wisdom, right? Wrong. First uh, Corinthians, listen to this, these couple of verses. I'm going to just turn there quickly because this is such a glorious piece of Scripture. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. My message, this is Paul speaking, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. He's talking about spiritual rulers, not just human ones. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Here it is. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they understood what they were about to do, we've got him. Had they understood it, they never would have crucified him. If they had been able to see. We went last night to a few of us, uh, Rose and Serena, uh, uh, we went to a, a free speech um, talk downtown, and there were demonstrators trying to shut it down, as is happening now in places all across our country, this kind of thing. But one of the things they did, they actually got this speech shut down at one venue that was at Simon Fraser University in the downtown campus. And there would have been two, it was a, a place that would have held 200 people. 
they effectively shut it down. So last minute, the organizers are scrambling looking for a place. Well, what they found was in the Pan Pacific Hotel, the Crystal Ballroom, and <laughs> Serena said to me as we're sitting in there, because the whole ceiling is all these crystals, she says, this is a little more swank, a little more sparkly than where they were going to have it. And instead, it ended up being, they moved it to there, and it sat 400 people. And it was full, except for a few chairs. It's like, all right, you're trying to do, and that's exactly what happened here. Let's shut down the Son of God, okay? What happened every time the church has been persecuted in the book of Acts? It spread. It spread, and it went farther, it went deeper, it got bigger. I hear it's happening, that thing that Dr. Phil Nordine said uh, two weeks ago, that in Iran, it's the fastest growing church in the world. Underground. People are... The, I, I read something about that before I had heard Pastor Phil say that, that so much of what is presented as being now the status quo in Iran, as far as the, the Muslim status quo, it's a shell. That underneath, particularly, women are getting saved. Like, it's, it's multiplying like crazy. Praise God. Yeah! God do it! And you think, oh, well, that's not being very open to other religions. That's right. That's right. And we'll get to that in the prayer of Jesus in just a moment. Because, But here's Jesus, or here's Paul saying, had they understood what they were doing, what God's plan was, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. They never would have done it. It was a big mistake. What I want to do through this series, Glorious God, is to grow our faith and our worship of God by knowing him as glorious, by beholding him, by whetting our appetite for knowing him as glorious. I, I don't want a truncated, sort of abbreviated version of God, a carbon copy. I want the living, glorious God. I want him. I, I, I didn't sign up for a religion. I didn't sign up for a small God. I want God, even though it's going to mean the chipping away of rough edges. It's going to mean transformation. It's going to mean him going across, crosswise to the grain of my life. Oh, God, I don't like that. I don't like it when God says, John, you're, you're selfish. You're prideful in this. You've got bitterness. You need to repent. You need to... do." I don't like it, but I like being changed. I like being transformed, and I, you can't have one without the other. So I want us to grow our faith and our worship of God by knowing him as glorious so that our lives bring him more glory, so that we produce more fruit to the glory of God. Amen? Anybody else? We want that. Amen? Okay. 
John chapter 17, we're going to just read the first five verses this time. Jesus is done talking with the disciples for the moment. He lifts his eyes to heaven. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was God's glory preceded all that we see. Contrary to what some might say, which is a theological distortion, God did not need us. He didn't create us because he needed an object for his love or he was somehow lonely or there was... God was lacking nothing. He made us to reflect his glory and goodness and love. He made us to enjoy it. He didn't need it. Within the the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he had community. He had relationship. He always has. He's at home there. He created us to bring us into what he has that's so good. Not because of a need that he had, but to just demonstrate and spread his glory more. Not a need that he had. Jesus' whole short life has been lived for the Father's glory. He prays this prayer now. His whole life has been lived for the glory of God. He says, I glorified you on the earth. Now, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with you before the world was. His whole life was lived to give glory to God. The way he lived, the way he spoke, did miracles, expressing God's goodness and mercy and power, the way he loved people. All of this displayed how glorious God is. Now, he says, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you more. Again, you gave him authority over all flesh, over all mankind in the earth, You gave him authority to accomplish an assignment of great importance so that to whomever you've given him in your sovereignty, he, the son, might give eternal life. God gave him authority so that he could give eternal life. I gave them eternal life. He says that about his disciples. I glorified you on earth. Verse 5, now glorify me. This back and forth reverberating glory. You send me, I present you. You give to me, I give to them. That turns out for your glory again and again. It just keeps going and going. But where this makes all the difference for us is the end of verse 2. Jesus says at the end of verse 2, 
as you gave me authority over all, kind, uh, over all mankind, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That's what it's all about from where we are. God gets glory and we get eternal life. And he gets glory from the fact that we have eternal life. All through the book of John, Jesus is presented as the source of life. He, from the very beginning, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Again and again, chapter 3, verses uh, 15 and 16. Then he says in chapter 4, The water I give you to the woman at the well, the water I give you will become in you a well of water springing up to eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. At the, at the end of chapter 20, it says this, Believe that he, he's written, recorded these signs so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Again and again and again. That's what John is writing about, is that we might have life. I want life. Amen? Amen. I want life. If you want life, there's only one source for it. There's only one source. Oh, you're just closed-minded, John. Yeah. I'm open. But once you know, ah, no, it's nowhere else. It's in him alone. He has it. Then I'm, I'm closed to the other options because I know it's in him. It's in him. There's life in him. Jesus, Jesus didn't just come with the message of life. He is the message and he is the life. Amen? There's this beautiful verse at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, which, as with all the other verses that or places that I preached in the last year, it's one of my favorites. Said about everything. God, this is Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. Jesus is the message. He sends his Son. His Son is the message, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And this fits our context. And he, the Son, is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the radiance of the Father's glory. He is the life of God. He is the message of life from the Father. And he states in his prayer in verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Let me be really clear clear, and not so politically correct. Every so-called God, 
except the God represented in and through Jesus Christ is not God. It's awfully quiet in here. It's just not God. In Psalm 96, David is crying out in praise and he says, (laughs) all the gods of the nations are idols. But you made the heavens, you alone. In this prayer, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. It's either an idol, man-made, and there are several places in the Psalms and in the prophets where he says, the idols that people make They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. And those who make them will be like them. (gasps) It's like they'll be like a wooden statue that can't do anything. And there's that funny place in the prophets, I believe it's in Isaiah or Jeremiah, where it says that a a man will take a, a piece of wood with part of it He'll heat his home and cook his food, and part of it he'll sculpt and make it into a god and bow down and worship it. It's like I, I cut it down in the forest and I made it and I'm worshiping it, and it's like, and with part of it I cooked dinner and part of it I warmed my home. Now, I don't know if anybody's uncomfortable about this. I'm not actually trying to just make you uncomfortable, but to state reality there is a real God. And why would I want to worship something that isn't? Sincere as you might be. If, and I, I was that. I, I got into something before, just before I got saved. And I thought, oh, Jesus is kind of nerdy. I don't, you know, that sounds kind of dorky. And I'm cool. So I can't be, I can't be worshiping Jesus. That's too status quo, which actually is not true, but I thought, I can't be, it's got to be something cool. So I got involved in a stupid pseudo-religion that I crafted. I mean, we even refashioned this false religion to suit our sin so that we could smoke all the dope we wanted and still think we were, in fact, not just think it was okay, but think that we were actually, this is not a joke. The group that I was involved in took the verses in the Bible that call God the most high. Oh, yes, I'm not joking. Maybe? Yeah, and he's the most high. And it's like, so the more blasted I get, the closer I'm going to be to God. I'm not smoking this because I'm just a sinner and I like being buzzed. I'm doing it because I want to be like God. (laughs) I'm not joking. And I was pretty sincere. And the guy that helped me sink into that, and I'm not blaming him because I was more than happy to be led into it, but my buddy who helped me go there... He was an excessive kind of personality, and I think he was closer to God 
by his blastedness than I was. And all of that stuff, the most high, oh, that's what it means. The church has had it wrong. So we're, he was sincere, I was sincere, and we were sincerely wrong and sincerely going at express speed to hell. Not because smoking dope is any worse than any number of other things, really. I mean, it's not healthy at all, but there's all kinds of sins that look a little more tidy than that, but they're, you know, they're ending up in the same place. I don't want just sincerity, amen? I want Jesus. I want the one true God, the only true God. And he's the one represented in and through Jesus. Tell somebody, the only true God is represented in Jesus Christ. Okay, now that I've sufficiently offended most of the world, those who don't believe in Jesus yet, let's move on. We know him. That's what we're called to. We have to know him. Life for us will always be incomplete unless we know God, the source of life. It's not, it's not enough. It's easier. How many know relationships require work, right? If you have a relationship with somebody in this room, just look at them right now and think about it. That person is work. <laughs> they require work. And that's why God has put you in their life to really help them out. <laughs> Relationships are worth our work. It would seem a lot easier if God just said, here's the 12 rules, follow the 12 rules, and everything's going to be good. But no, we walk in relationship with the living God. And so it's a daily thing of knowing Him, seeking Him, turning to Him, hearing Him, laying out our heart to Him, being transformed little by little like all relationships. But you won't be satisfied, your soul won't be satisfied if you don't have a relationship with God. That's just simple, plain gospel. You... We were created by the living God for relationship with the living God. And if we don't have it, all of the great blessings of life, there are so many good things, family, love, romance, food, laughter, sex, uh, recognition, art, music, sports, accomplishments, so many good things. But if this is missing this relationship with him, all of that stuff is like so much kind of, it just evaporates. Like it's good. I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad thing. Those are all good things. All things given us by God. But we'll never, never, never be fully satisfied unless we actually know him, the only true God. True. And we won't just live forever quantity long but 
Knowing him means quality, abundant life. That's when he says this is eternal life. It doesn't just mean life that goes on forever like it is here. It means life that's full, life that's satisfied, life where what's, you know, as C.S. Lewis says, that God-shaped vacuum has been filled with the only one, the only thing that can fill it, which is him. He made us. I think it's kind of... You know that technologically I'm not um, exactly advanced. Um, I have a ch- I'm challenged by things like computers. But there is this thing, if you use that as an illustration, God designed the hardware that he would be part of it. Without him, it will not function cannot do everything it would do that's us we're made with a need something in us that no other thing that's just how he made it he made us in his image and without him as part of our life it just isn't going to cut it amen you want to be satisfied you need him how do you know this because The history of all humanity says it. Oh, what we need is more education. No. We need to know God. The word that's used here to know him is this uh, word, the the word in the original language or in the Greek New Testament that is used for this is this word. It doesn't mean I need to know him like I take a class and I learn calculus. It's more like this. The word means something that progresses the way a relationship does. And it signifies it signifies an active relationship. Something ongoing where there's interaction. It's not just, I hear about God. Ah, I've got it. Nope. It's... A, A relationship, it keeps going like that. That's how relationships grow, is we keep interacting, amen? We keep, they keep going deeper, they keep changing, we get new input, we give something, we interact. Their work, it would be easier to do other things, but they're not life-giving. Relationship is life-giving. Just to learn calculus, it's not. Jesus didn't tell us to know God He didn't just tell us to know God to have life. He came, he demonstrated it. Even in this prayer, he demonstrated it and left us this record of how life in relationship with the Father looked. Read the Gospels. Get Jesus before your eyes. See how he interacted with the Father. Now he comes to this hour of prayer. He suffered and died to bring us back into relationship with God. He's saying... I've accomplished the work you gave me to do. Father, I've accomplished this work, which really, the last step was still to be taken, but Jesus is saying, I've accomplished the work you gave me to do, the assignment you sent me to, to bring people back into sync with you and give them access, full access to eternal life. So after he prayed... He finished the assignment by being arrested, suffering on the cross, and we can have eternal life today by recognizing what Jesus did. I'd like to invite everyone to bow their head for a moment. Just so that you have a moment of privacy. There's nothing 
you know, it's not like, oh, God can't answer a prayer if our eyes aren't closed and our heads not bowed, but just to give us a moment of privacy so you can consider the life you have and the level of fulfillment and satisfaction that you have. I want you to ask yourself, am I out of sync with God because of sins and life on my own terms where I'm really the God of my own life? Am I out of sync? Maybe you'll ask, am I out of sync in terms of I've been living a religious life but I really haven't been seeking relationship with him? I know he's there. I even believe that he's God, but I don't want relationship with him. I just want him to give it to me, and I, but I really don't want anything to do with it. If so, know this. Jesus came to give you eternal life. He died on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven and reconciled to a life-giving relationship with God through Jesus. What do you need to do to receive God's offer? Believe in him first. Turn in your heart from your sin and your self-enthroned life where you're the Lord and invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life from now on. He'll make himself at home in your heart. And you'll be entering into a personal friendship with him as a child of God. There are likely a number of people here who know this is their opportunity and their need. And there are a number of people here, myself included, who've done this, came to that place, where we believed, we turned from our sin, surrendered our life to him as Lord, and entered into that relationship, and he came and took up residence in our hearts. If you consent, you're not alone. Many others need to do the same, even in this room. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you can pray along with, quietly or even just in your heart, if, you're, uh, if you don't want to speak out loud. No one needs to be embarrassed or ashamed um, of saying, I need him. So I'm going to do this. No one need, so I want you to just pray this. If you want to whisper it, just say, Jesus, thank you for coming to reconcile me to God. By dying on the cross for my sins, so I can be forgiven. Thank you for your offer of eternal life in relationship with you and God the Father. I put my trust in you today as my Savior. Forgive my sins. And I welcome you into my life to lead me and give me eternal life in relationship with you forever.
If you prayed this, I'd like to speak with you for a moment after the service. Just before food comes and we enjoy lunch together, I'd like to talk to you and just talk about some of the next steps. But I want to just pray. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer for the first time. I pray that this would be something, God, there's so much at stake And you love the creatures you made in your image. You love us so much that you sent Jesus to do this. That there isn't a plan B. That there's life only through him. And that you sent Jesus to suffer for us. God, I pray for this message of the gospel, this good news of reconciliation with God to take root today in such a way that it would never be lost, that today new life would be stirred in this room, new joy would be stirred, that the love of God would be poured out, that those who've prayed this today for the first time or the tenth time, those who've come back and said, God, I, I've needed to know you and walk in relationship and not just with a religion, but with the living God. God, that the love of God would be poured out in each one in a way that would change us forever. Do that in here today, God, by the Holy Spirit.